Hey, we're doing something new I didn't talk about last week, but we're starting the book of Exodus. And we're going to do it in large chunks. It'd be good if you guys want to read it at, at home. But we're going to do like large portions of Exodus. Four chapters this week, four chapters next week. And really give you an overview as well as sort of looking at uh, what's happening in the various people's lives. And it's interesting because if you know it, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. How many knew that? Genesis, Exodus. Okay, that's pretty simple. Genesis starts from creation, goes in God choosing Abraham. Then you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You have the 12 sons that comes out of Jacob. You remember Joseph. Joseph was, you know, the, remember the coat of many colors, and he was taken, sold off to slay in slavery, and then they, they uh, ended up in Egypt, and he ended up getting um, honored by the Pharaoh and the king, and, and then ended up being dishonored and put back in prison for a while. Then honored again. And in the end, you know, he, the book of Genesis ends with um, the brothers coming during a time of famine and coming into the Egypt and being taken in and becoming a part uh, and welcome into that nation. But guess what? Exodus, 400 years pass. That's the fun thing about the Bible. It's like all of a sudden, oh, we're in Exodus. Oh, 400 years passed. And now the Israelites had grown in number and were uh, the Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh, not the one that welcomed them hundreds of years earlier, uh, said, hey, I consider you guys a threat. Somebody comes and, and uh, wants to attack our nation. We're not sure you're going to side with us. So he made them slaves. And they had built cities and all, all sorts of things for the Pharaoh. And then he... he uh, went even farther and said, look, I'm, I'm so threatened by these, by these uh, Israelites, uh, we're going to start killing their male offspring. And, and that's what he did. And so Exodus starts us on this journey of the Israelites getting free from Egypt and then traveling into the promised land, the land that God promised for them. I, I always think of Exodus like a journey. You know, you get, you know, I don't know. How many of you remember traveling pre-GPS? Okay. Wasn't that fun? You know, and I've said this from the pulpit. GPS has really helped my marriage. Because my wife used to be the navigator, you know. And she'd be like, oh, you were supposed to turn there. Or, well, you didn't hear that I said turn. And so she would navigate. And we lived, you know, we lived in all these different places, you know. We, and, you know, I remember we had this big van, this Renault traffic, um, and uh, it was huge. It was this huge uh, white van, and we'd have our five kids in there, and we had a huge space in the back. We'd throw all sorts of camping gear, and we're, we're cruising through these small European towns. There's a town in Portugal, and, and all of a sudden, you know, she's navigating, and, and there's this, like, archway, and this space was designed for a horse and a carriage. And I'm like, I'm not going to fit. And, and it was really, the, it was a road that was just about big enough just for my van. And then it became not big enough for my van. So then I'm like, what the heck do you do? Here I'm backing up on this road, hoping that no one's coming behind me because I can't go forward. I, mean, I have so many experiences like that. I told you guys this story one time. We, we found out that there was this swimming hole in the south of Portugal, and we read about it, and, and, um, 
And so we, I wanted to take our kids. There was like a 30-foot cliff. You could jump off and jump into this pool. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And so I'm trying to follow the instructions. I wasn't really able to figure it out on the map, but we read there, here's how you get to it. And so I'm on these little farm roads. And, and then, I, and then I, I turn. I know maybe I'm supposed to go here. And then I turn. And as I turn, I realize that I, I didn't make the turn well enough. And my whole front right tire is hanging off a cliff. It wasn't that big a cliff. I mean, it might have been 30 feet down or something like that. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know. And uh, so then I'm like, okay, kids, get out of the car on that side, you know? And I'm like, what am I going to do? I can't back up my car. It wouldn't, it, yeah. And then after a little while, there's this Portuguese farmer on his tractor. And he's like, yeah, another dumb foreigner, you know, and, and uh, hooks me up, pulls me out, and, and saves the day, and, you know, I, I can't remember. It was months or a year later we actually found the hole. We didn't find it on that trip. I gave up after I almost went off a cliff. I thought, let's just be safe. We, uh, but we did find the, the hole, and it was, a, it was thrilling. I mean, it was and painful if you, you know, I don't know if you've ever jumped off high, like water hurts. Did you know that? Like, yeah. So I always see, I like to see Exodus as this amazing journey, and God starts it through this one man, Moses, okay? And so we're going to, we're not going to read four chapters, but I'm going to uh, tell you bits of the story, and we're going to read a bit of it. So I think at the beginning of this, what you're going to see is God lays these amazing sovereign foundations in the lives of Moses, and I also believe that he lays sovereign foundations in your life and in my life for things he's called us to, okay? So let's look at this. The Pharaoh then gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile but let every girl live. So this was one of the first women's movements in the Bible. Um, and um, some of you have been married a long time and have felt this way before. Um, okay, that, some jokes just don't work. Okay, anyway, um, so, so the, the Israelites, I, I picked this passage up because um, Pharaoh first tried to get the midwives to uh, kill them, and, and they finagled their way out of it. Then he's just like, all right, when they're born, just you know, throw them in the Nile, and let's get rid of them. We want to decrease the population of the Israelites. And then you have the introduction of Moses. It says, now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got papyrus basket for, for him and coated it with tar and pitch, and then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the banks of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. And it goes like, on like this. He says, blessed be the God and our father. Oh, no, sorry. Let me think. Okay, I'm going to tell you. I, I, I couldn't put it all in. So what happens? You know the story. Many of you know this, that one of Pharaoh's daughters saw this baby. She picked up the baby. She said, I want to keep this baby. And then she said, well, I'm going to give the baby to some Israelite woman to raise until they're two years old, and they can come live in the palace. And lo and behold, she gives the baby back to Moses' mom. Moses' mom continues to feed the baby, raise the baby. And then Moses was raised in the palace. 
And, and, I, and I love how this sort of sets up like, okay, here's Moses. He understands a little bit about being an Israelite, but now he's being raised in Pharaoh's palace, so he understands what it means to be an Egyptian. But he does know that he's an Israelite. So as he gets older, the story goes on, and it, it says that, that Moses saw two Israelites fighting, and, um, and, or, and then before that, he saw one of the slave masters treating an Israelite uh, poorly and, and abusing and beating him because they were slaves. And he, Moses steps up and defends uh, this Israelite Jewish man against the slave uh, keepers or slave owners and so Moses ends up being a murderer, finds out later that other people know about this, so he, he uh, Pharaoh's after him, gets out of town, and he goes into the desert. Um, and, and so here you have this man and that God uses amazingly who, who was, you know, given up by his mother forcefully, raised as an Egyptian, still understands that he's Jewish, so he defends his people, but then everybody, both the Israelites and the Jewish people, are against him, and so he flees for his very life. What a way to start your life. How would you like that? 20 years old, running for your life, and then you run for your life in a desert. I don't know about you, but have you ever been to a desert? They can be really cold at night and really hot during the day, right? Not the f most fun places to live, but that's where Moses went. And, and here's, the, here's the thing I want you to get in this, in this story, that, that each and every one of you, God has laid a sovereign foundation, and it doesn't always look like you think. I mean, you think that if you're going to be successful or effective in ministry or Jesus, you have to have like, oh, I've got to be raised in this kind of perfect home, or I have to have this kind of background, or I can't be a child who suffered abuse, or I can't have, could not have gone through addiction. And, and the reality is, is that God uses all these things. The broken parts of us, the parts that we don't like, and he lays a foundation for you and I to be effective in his kingdom. Did you know that's good news? That means no matter what you've gone through, God can use that as a foundation to help others. Check this passage out. This is the one I wanted to read earlier. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts us in our affliction so that we then are empowered to comfort others. Isn't that amazing? And then this passage that we learned last week, and we know that in all things, God things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That somehow, God takes the good and the bad in our lives, our mess-ups, our faults, our sins, our failures, and he forms a very foundation in our lives so that we can then minister to others out of what, for many of us, 
looks like a lot of bad things, a lot of, a lot of brokenness, a lot of hurt. But let me tell you, that's the kind of uh, life that God uses over and over and over again. For years, I was a part of a mission organization, and it was headed up by a, a man named Linus Morris. And, and uh, Linus was a, a fun guy to be around. Linus discovered European ministry because he had a passion for basketball, and they would uh, get these college students, and they would, they would take them to Europe, and they would play basketball games, and during a halftime, they would give the gospel. And they called the, back then they called it the news release. It was the basketball team. And they would find people coming to faith in Christ. And but these people were like, where are the healthy, vibrant churches to go to? So he, he ended up moving. He had, uh, I think, six kids. He ended up moving uh, his family to uh, Geneva. And lived, uh, they actually planted right outside of Geneva in a town called Fernier Voltaire. And they started one of the first international churches that was started by this organization. But when you, when you got to know Linus, you got to know he had a background in engineering. And then later then, he went to seminary and trained for ministry. And, and when you got to know him, you got to know a guy that was really imperfect. I, I remember one time, he, he, we, we would have a conference every, uh, every year. And he, he told me about, about well, he told all of us that he was on this plane, and there was a German guy next to him. And the German guy claimed the whole handle. You know how you have to, you know, he just took the whole thing. And so Linus is like, he stuck his little elbow over there. And he talked about how he and this German guy were fighting over the armrest, and it almost went to blows. And, and I thought, okay. So this is a guy who's, at, at that time, had, we had planted a number of churches in Europe, and he's wanting to fight over the armrest of a man that he's called to reach with the gospel. And he would tell these, these kind of honest, broken stories where his imperfections would shine through, and then you would see how God would use broken, imperfect people, and, and he would use them to advance his kingdom. You know, I want all of you to realize that, that none of you, myself included, is not, um, is, is done anything that is so bad that God can't redeem, God can't buy back, God can't take your brokenness, your failures, your sins, and use you for his purpose. I mean, just think of the hero that we're reading about, Moses. We always think Moses is a hero. Moses was a murderer. He was an imperfect man. And God used him to lead his whole people out of Egypt. All right, next. Here's the cool thing. We see it in, in the New Testament. You see it in the Old Testament. God is the initiator. He draws us to himself. This is a great little passage. Now Moses was tending the flock. So he's out in the wilderness. He had met this guy, Jethro, ends up marrying uh, Jethro's daughter. So uh, now Moses is tending the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the Mount of God. And this is the very mount also where Moses has all these experience with the Ten Commandments, etc., etc. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that, the, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. 
So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. You know, when I read this, I'm sorry, there's a, do you ever get these parts of your brain that you just wish weren't there? It always reminds me of the little kids in the talking Christmas tree. They used to have these talking Christmas trees, and the kids would come up, and they'd be like, hi, and then the tree would talk to them because it was really somebody on a speaker someplace far away, and the kids would think it was a real Christmas tree, and it was talking to them. Come on. You don't, do you, we don't see talking Christmas trees much anymore, but we used to. And I always think of this, and it, it, it's like, Lord, redeem my brain from those moments. Um, so he calls him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I, I, I love that God is the initiator here, that, that Moses is out doing his own thing, and God creates this spe spectacle of this bush that's burning. And, then, and Moses, of course, like, what the heck? Why? Okay, this thing's not going out. Bush doesn't take that long to burn. And he goes over, you know, and then Moses, you know, God tells him to take off his sandals, the place is holy ground, and he begins this conversation with God. There's a couple of things I really love about this, but I, I love that, that the Bible says that nobody can come to God. Nobody can come to me unless the Father draws him. Okay, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise him up on the last day. There is this, there is this realization that when you and I become followers of Jesus, we have to acknowledge that he acted first. Do you get that? God acted first. So many times, years ago, years and years ago, I think it was even in the 70s, they had this campaign that said, I found it. Some of you guys are old enough to remember that, you know? And this was a person that was like, I found God. But, but the reality is, is that he found us. He initiated in our lives. He drew us to himself. He allowed our hearts to turn toward him to open us to the work of the Spirit. And, and, I, and if, you, if you get that, you're starting to get that, that you are following a God who loves you. Someone sent me this, this uh, picture on a mug, and it's, it's a lovely picture uh, at Christmas. You get this little gift, and, and, um, and it's, it's got this lamb. Maybe you've seen this on the Internet, this lamb, really vivid, uh, picture and, he, and it's by himself and then it's got this guy but it's a little bit blurred but you know it's Jesus and he's running towards the lost sheep and, and that's the God we serve that God finds ways to draw us to himself I've heard stories in the past where God used dreams in people's lives you know, I read a book years ago called that Dare to Call Him Father, where this uh, woman was in Pakistan, and, um, and she had this dream about John the Baptist. 
And she had no idea who John the Baptist was. And so she ended up talking to a Christian missionary, and, and she found out that John the Baptist went before Jesus. And, and she, she, that dream was the first step in her becoming a follower of Jesus. Over and over and over, you, you will find that God is initiating in your life. And to me, that's good news. Because I don't want my salvation to be something that I just do. Oh, I got saved because I'm such a good person. I was able to climb the mountain and find God. The gospel is, is that we're actually not great people. We are what the Bible calls sinners. Did you know that? And that sometimes we, we get the illusion that there's perfect people and less perfect people, and, and, and we always sort of rate ourselves on standards. Do you know that? You know, when you meet someone, you sort of, you, it's, it's a gut thing. You immediately say to yourself, oh, I think I'm better than them, or I'm not better than them. You ever do that? Do you ever do it subconsciously? Like you rate yourself, you judge yourself, and you sort of put yourself above or below people. You need to realize that, that the Bible calls that sin, that all of us have missed the mark. All of us have fallen short. All of us need a Savior. And if, and if, and if I need a Savior, that means I'm drowning, okay? I need God to throw the line, to initiate the process. I can't do this on my own. Someone from the outside has to swim in the water, grab me by my hair, knock me out, do whatever it takes, and pull me to shore. And that's what he does when he initiates with us. He, he draws us to himself. He creates an interest. Sometimes it's a point of pain. Sometimes our lives have to get so low, so broken, so hurt that we have to go, okay, God, I can't do this. I need you. It was one of the powerful steps in the 12-step program. Some of you know that part of the 12 steps is I need a power higher than myself. It's going to take something outside myself to bring me my sobriety because I can't do it on my own. I love it. I love it that God draws Moses away with a bush, creates an interest, and then encounters him. I love that he draws us in dreams and sometimes conversation and, and sometimes reminding us sometimes a little bit of a, a sense of his presence when we're young. I mean, all these different ways. Sometimes it's reading a scripture. I've heard people having a billboard. I mean, I've heard people just hear a, a quiet voice. I mean, all these ways that he draws us to himself. But he does it. He's the God that brings us to himself. The other thing we see in this story is that God chooses us and he sends us. And here's what he said to Moses. He says, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. 
And Moses said to God, I love this. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. I love that. And God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. It, it's, it's absolutely amazing because Moses' job was not just to bring the people out from Pharaoh. Moses had to originally convince the Israelites that, hey, I'm the guy that's going to do it. And I thought, I thought, wait, so the guy that, you know, fleed for his life from, because he killed an Egyptian, the guy that, that was raised in the palace... So he's not fully identifying with us as Jewish people because even though he's Jewish by race, he had a different upbringing. So he has to then convince these group of Israelites who are slaves that God wants to free them and that they're supposed to follow him. Do you realize that's a huge job just in and of itself? And so what does he say? He says, well, I need, I need some ammo. They're going to ask me, who did you meet with? Well, first of all, he says the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You see this over and over in the Bible, that, that this is Yahweh. This is the God of the Israelites. But, but remind yourself that it was 400 years, even more, where God was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So those stories had to have been passed on for 400 years. Our nation isn't even 400 years old. And then he uses these words. He says, I am who I am. Can also be translated, I will be who I will be. And what God is saying in these simple little words is he's saying, I am the self-existent one. I am not created. I, everything that is created owes its existence to me. I am the source of all the power that is. I will never change. That everything in this world flows from me. Moses, you tell him that. You tell him that. That there is no one who can say, I am who I am, but God. I love that Moses questioned, and we're not covering the, the next uh, chapter so much, but Moses follows up with uh, questions like, hey, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? Moses goes on and says, uh, pardon me, Lord. Uh, I'm not eloquent in speech. Uh, you know, in the past, I've not spoken well. I don't speak well now. I'm, I'm slow of speech and tongue. And, and so when you get into the Hebrew, it's like, it's like, well, I can say that, but I have a really hard time explaining why. I, I really struggle with that. It's like, you ever had those teachers that you really feel like they went into the wrong profession? You know, like, wait a second. I know you're teaching, but I am not understanding. 
right? Come, come on. I, remember, I had a Hebrew professor who, who uh, said this. He said, the word to teach um, in Hebrew is in the hifil form, and, and he says it, it means to cause to learn. And he says, if you have the gift of teaching, then you're causing learning to happen. And he goes, and if you don't, don't teach. Because all you're causing is stupid to happen, okay? Because our job is to help people not be ignorant. And so we, we, we have the people that have the gift of teaching cause learning. They create desire. I used to talk about in seminary, when we went to seminary, I'd say there are some courses that give you life and some courses that suck the life out of you. It's like they're so boring. You fall asleep in your textbook. So Moses says, I struggle with this. I don't explain things well. And we know that God then um, uh, gave Aaron to help him out. But then Moses, Moses ends his question to Yahweh. And he says, um, par pardon your servant of the Lord, Please send someone else. Can, can you get that? Like, can, the, I am who I am. The one who has all the existence and power, everything comes from him. I, I, know, I know that, you know, you're asking me to do these things, but please send somebody else. See, Moses had lived long enough that he hadn't more, didn't have that youthful idealism anymore that he'd been through enough of life, and he's just like, okay, this is a big, this is a big ask, and I don't think I'm the guy. And God said something different. He said, no, you're the guy. I've chosen you. And I, I just want you to know that we, this theme of being chosen you find throughout the Bible. The Bible says that we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that he initiates in our lives, that he chooses us. And this morning, I, I just really believe the Holy Spirit wants to remind you that you're chosen. And maybe you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. You've never given your life to Christ. You've, you've never entered into this wonderful relationship that he offers. And, and, and friends, uh, we'll pray a prayer in the end and you can start that relationship because he, he chooses each one of us. You know, I, things nowadays, you have to, like, plan, like, plan, like, play dates and things like that. I grew up, before we planned play dates, I grew up when you call your buddies and you go meet in a field, and then you would pick two captains, and then you would pick up, when it was baseball season, we played baseball. When it was football season, we played football. And we played full-on tackle football, no pads. You know, I think I was knocked out a few times. I mean, what, the, I asked somebody, I asked somebody, so you've never been knocked out? I'm like, no. I'm like, I was knocked out so many times in my life. We didn't have concussion protocol. We just thought it was a part of being a young, stupid guy, you know? Of course you get knocked out. You get kneed in the head or tackled, and, and so you just lay there for a little bit, and then you wake up. And The worst was when I woke up and no one was there. That was a scary moment. They thought I was dead. I came back. Um, the... I, I'm not kidding. These, I, I've been knocked out more than most people. Okay. My, my favorite one is when my twin brother, we would ride around in the back of a, um, 
a station wagon. For those of you who don't know what a station wagon is, it, it, was the, it, it was sort of the minivan of the 70s, okay? And so in the back, you, you would stick your kids. Seatbelts were not required, okay? You know, I remember my dad talked about uh, when we, they brought me home from the hospital, he said I had to have somebody with me because you had, they had to hold the baby. The, the car seat was the adult holding the baby, okay? Um, and, and so we would go in the back of the station wagon, and my dad kept a billy club in his, his car. I, I said for protection, you know, but it was this short little police nightstick that had lead in the center of it, so it was a little heavier. And um, my twin brother one day decided, he had this question, what would happen if I whacked my brother in the head? I didn't know he was thinking this way. I just remember waking up and with my head hurt having to go to the hospital because the dude knocked me out from curiosity. This is true. So what you and I need to know is that God chooses each one of us, people that have had concussions, people that have had broken childhood. He chooses each one of us to come into a relationship with him. And then from that, he gives us things to do. He sends us. Some are sent to be missionaries. Some are sent to be full-time pastors. Some are sent to work vocationally as doctors or lawyers or city workers. It, it doesn't matter. But then he, he gives you a ministry within that work to engage and impact those around you because he's chosen you and he's placed you in the exact place that he wants you to be to make a difference for his kingdom. Can I get an amen? Let's pray together. So Father, we thank you that in the life of Moses we see parallels for our lives over and over and over that you used Moses. Uh, and we think of him as really a hero, but he was a murderer. He, he was a, a, a man that was raised separate than his people. And he was a man that didn't feel ready or even able for the tasks that you sent him to do. But you sent him and you chose him. And Lord, you've sent us and you've chosen us to know you and to make you known so that we can confess that you're our God and we're your people. And I want to pray with that one or two people here that have never given their life to you. I want to pray that they would just today say, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want you as my leader, my Lord, and my Savior. I want to follow you from this day forward. And Lord, I just pray you break in in a powerful way. You let them know that you've chosen them, that you've called them to make a difference in your world. And we thank you, God. We thank you. That you pour your mercy and your grace out to us. And we're excited about 24 and how you want to use us as your people, as a church, CTK Vineyard Church, and individually, in and through the lives of others that you bring us into relationship with. So stir up your gifts today. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to end our time with ministry time and with communion, and so we'll go into that right now. But I, there was a sense of hope. I was just, I was, uh, as I was praying, I, was, I just felt like somebody was feeling really hopeless this morning. And if that's you, uh, I just pray you get some prayer ministry. Come up and let somebody pray with you that, that 
Um, 24 does not have to be hopeless. 24 can be full of hope, an opportunity for you. So the Lord Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat that this is my body which has been given for you. Do this and remember me. And in the same way, he took a cup. And he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink, and when you do this, remember me. And we remember you, Lord, whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim your death until you come, the death that brought us life, the death that has made a way for us to be forgiven, for us to know you. And so we say, come, Holy Spirit, as we come to prayer ministry, as we come to this table, would you meet us in a powerful way? Would it not just be another Sunday, but would you continue to transform us? And Lord, for the person that feels unworthy to be called by you, feels like they've gone too far, they've messed up, Lord, show them that they are chosen by you, that you're calling them today. And for those of us that want to come to this table and renew our calling, and experience afresh your love that's poured out, come, Holy Spirit, and pour your life out today in the bread and the wine, in the eating and the drinking, in the ministry of prayer and the worship. We ask this not in our name, but in Jesus' name. Amen.